first welcome those who are watching online that uh, we are able now to do this live with those who are at home. So we're going to welcome you who are at home now. Uh, we know that God is still working, though we are not together in this place, that we are still able to be united in him and walk together in unity through this uh, difficult time. So welcome to all those who are watching online. Also, I just want to remind you, some of you have probably received in the last week this prayer guide. If you don't know what that is, if you haven't been here and haven't heard us explain what that is, it is, it is simply just a way for us to uh, begin thinking about prayer and, and uh, uh, turning our attention towards prayer. Sometimes we uh, just don't have an idea of what to pray for or how to pray, the things that we should be praying for in life. So the, the prayer guide that we're sending out, hopefully every month we'll be sending you a new one, is just simply a way to get your attention turned towards prayer and some of the needs that are in our community or towns. If there's anything that you are aware of that we are not, feel free to bring something to us and we would gladly consider putting uh, some more uh, prayer opportunities in our guide for the, uh, people in our congregation to be praying for. Uh, another thing that I want to start also um, is on every Wednesdays, we're, every Wednesday we are going to start doing something for those of you that want to participate. We're just going to call it Prayer Walk Wednesday. Now that sounds like some sort of uh, crazy program. I understand that. I don't love that name, but it's the best that I could come up with, so that's what we're going to go, up, go with. The idea behind that is just simply to have a day of the week where, you know, traditionally we, we have prayer meetings and all of those kind of things, and we should do those things as, as a church. But we can still, again, be united together in, as a congregation in our cause to pray for those around us. So the point is, when you hear that every week, if you see it on Facebook announced or we announce it here or whatever that is, when you hear Prayer Walk Wednesday, that means that wherever you go, wherever your feet take you in that day, that you would be praying for the people around you or situations around you, or, or businesses, or if you walk by a school, that you would pray for uh, the schools, whatever you are around. The point is that sometimes there are situations around us in life that, we, that God is calling us to be involved in that situation, not necessarily going to the person and talking to them, but to be involved spiritually in situations around us, and we neglect those things because we're just simply not aware of it. One... one uh, situation that stands out to me. I don't know why I th uh, this had weighed so heavily on me. I may never know, but uh, I remember a couple of years ago, I was going to the Dominican Republic and I was in the airport. I can't remember where we were even at at that point. It was sometime during one of the layovers, but uh, uh, I just saw this young girl. She was probably, I don't know, maybe 13 or 14 years old, and she just looked unhappy. Not like she was like mad or something, but just like she was very timid and fearful and just unhappy. I have no idea what was going on with her to this day, but I know without a doubt that God wanted me to pray for her. I don't know why. I don't think I'll ever know why. But the point is that God is calling us to be spiritually involved in our environment whether we are actively physically talking to somebody, if you do get that opportunity, and I believe God will open those opportunities as we are engaged in the environment around us, but we are still called to be engaged in the situations and environments around us 
Uh, so that is the point of why we are calling this Prayer Walk Wednesday. So every Wednesday we know that everybody else in the church, wherever they go, whether it's in Walmart or uh, whatever, wherever you go that day, that you are looking, actively looking for people and places and things to pray over in that day. So that's what that is all about. Uh, Psalm 23, we're going to be looking today at the idea. We're going to be breaking this down over the next few weeks and going a little, uh, a little more in depth on uh, some of the different verses. But we're going to be looking today at Psalm 23, starting just uh, verses 1 through 3. I'm going to read the whole thing, but then we're going to go back to verses 1 through 3. So, uh, verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So, so we're going to be looking mainly today at the first three verses here. Uh, again, the first verse, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. So the first verse, what we see here, really in this psalm, Psalm 23, and most people think that David wrote this psalm, this psalm uh, what we see here is the quiet confidence in the soul of somebody who recognizes the God of creation and his provision, his care for them in life, and the assurance then that that brings them. So the first thing that he starts here by is proclaiming who he is talking about. And this is significant. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in one. So the first verse establishes who God is, his relationship to us, and then the effect of that relationship uh, so we see him then kind of break down through the rest of this psalm that we'll be talking about over the next few weeks, uh, kind of the effect of the relationship as he establishes who God is and then what that relationship means for us. So the rest of Psalm 23 again goes into the detail of the work that the shepherd does in the, in the life uh, of his sheep. <coughs> uh, so he says in the beginning, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, and again the rest of the psalm details what he's talking about here, but it's significant that he begins this by saying, the Lord is my shepherd. Now, if you, I I don't know how many people are aware of this, but if you read in your Bibles and the word Lord is capitalized, all of it, the whole thing, L-O-R-D, if they are all capitals, that is referring to the proper name that God had given Moses for himself. There are different ways that the Bible refers to God, throughout uh, throughout the Word of God. But when you read that in your Bible and every letter of the Word is capitalized, that in translation then is referring to the Hebrew term that God would have given Moses, his proper name that he would have given Moses, defining uh, to whatever capacity we can understand that God would have given Moses to define himself back in Exodus chapter 3. Uh, so Exodus chapter 3, this is where... Moses is before the burning bush uh, where God is speaking to him, starting at verse 13. It says, Moses said to God, so again, God is telling Moses that he is going to deliver 
the Israelites from Egypt. And this is where we pick it up in verse 13. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. So God establishes first when he reveals his name to Moses, he establishes the character of his name. He says first, tell them I am has sent you. What he is saying here is I am who I am. I am and I will be self-existent, the eternal one, all all of the attributes of God, that he is all-powerful, that his wisdom is perfect, that he is eternal, he has always been and never will cease to be, his holiness is beyond measure, everything that he is has from eternity past and never will end, everything that he is, he's saying, I am. He's saying, I am fully other than you, and I am. That is all you have to tell them, I am has sent you. Uh, so in that he is defining again to to the best uh, uh, you know the best way that we could possibly understand it as humans he is saying he is he is using that term I am to define his otherness we talked about that last week uh, the otherness of God that uh, some of the old saints of the church used to talk about how God was so different from us as his otherness. The otherness of God, meaning that he is fully different than you you and I. And everything that he is in his holiness, his perfection, his wisdom, everything that he is, is so other than us that there's no way we could possibly describe it than his otherness. So that's what he's saying here is, I am. That perfectly encapsulates everything that God is. I am has sent you. Ellicott's commentary said this about uh, that verse said, I am that which I am. My nature, i.e., cannot be declared in words, cannot be conceived of by human thought. I exist in such sort that my whole unfathomable nature is implied in my existence. I exist as nothing else does, necessarily, eternally, and really. If I am to give myself a name expressive of my nature, so far as language can be, let me be called I am. So that is what God is revealing about himself in that moment, or proclaiming to Moses his otherness, how different he is than human nature. Matt Redmond said this when he was talking about worship, but he said the otherness of God gives us a sense that God is so pure, matchless, and unique that no one else and nothing else even comes close. He is altogether glorious, unequaled in splendor, and unrivaled in power. He is beyond the grasp of human reason, far above the reach of even the loftiest scientific mind. He is inexhaustible, immeasurable, and unfathomable, eternal, immortal, immortal, and invisible, The highest mountain peaks in the deepest canyon depths are just tiny echoes of his proclaimed greatness. In the blazing stars above, the faintest emblems of the full measure of his glory. So God says to Moses that he should tell the Israelites, I am has sent you because that declares the glory of God. The glory of God, the the word glory means weight. So he is saying in that moment, he is proclaiming to him the full weight of who he is. You see, that word, that name that we see there is very significant. So he he says, tell them I am has sent you. But then he goes on in verse 15 and says, God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, 
the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and God of Jacob has sent you to me. The Lord, being capitalized, every letter capitalized, the Lord or I am has sent you. Now that word means, uh, in, in the Hebrew language, some people debate what, what it means. Uh, it means Jehovah or Yahweh, the Lord. Now there, again, there's debates whether the, 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 uh, whether it started with a J or a Y, that's inconsequential for us today. The point is the substance of his name, Jehovah or Yahweh, declaring that I am, that I am self-existent, I am unchangeable, I am eternal, I am everything that humans are not, and everything is under me. That is what he is proclaiming here. Now, it is significant that we see this in the beginning of Psalm 23 because this is establishing the God that David believes in that he is submitting to as his shepherd. You see, this everything that we do hinges on our conception of who God is. Everything. There's nothing that we can do as Christians that doesn't either stand on a sure foundation of a true understanding of who God is or eventually come crumbling down because our foundation or our understanding of who God is is inadequate. The same as a foundation for any kind of building project that it would have to be sure and true in order for a building to be sure that it's going to last. If it's not, eventually the building will start to fail. Because the foundation fails. In the same way, our conception of God, our understanding of who He is, the Lord, I am, or the one, oh, do we understand Him as self-existent, as transcendent, as having authority over all things, as creator? Do we truly believe those things? Because if we don't, we will never understand Him as our shepherd. We will never trust Him as our shepherd. You see, because we can't trust a God that has been formed in under human opinions. I know I say this all the time, but it is very significant. A.W. Tozer said, left to ourselves, we will immediately reduce God to manageable terms. That means when I remove myself from prayer and studying who he is from his word, when I stop trying to understand him in that way, I will immediately begin to form him in my own image. And when I do that, you can be sure that at some point, some sort of trial or suffering or difficulty will come, and I will not trust him in that moment. Because I can never form a God that will be able to stand the tests of life. I can't, in my power, formulate a God that can stand up to those things, because he's always going to be subject to my feelings. You see, but we understand God based on who he has revealed himself to be. Then I begin to understand him as transcendent of everything that I experience in this life. And I trust no longer in something that has been formed out of my heart in this world. But I am looking beyond this world, seeing a God who transcends it. And I can see him as my shepherd. I can follow his voice in the midst of suffering because I know he is not subject to human suffering. He has endured it and lived beyond it. To give me hope. You see, it is very, very significant and important that you and I have right thoughts of who God is based on what He has revealed about Himself. Not what I think He has revealed, not what I feel about how He has revealed Himself, 
but what he has actually revealed about himself in Scripture. Young people, this is very significant for you because you're going to go through times where people are going to tell you that you are totally stupid for believing that God exists. They're going to tell you that God is something that he isn't. People all through this world are forming a God in their own own image and then trying to project him on you and telling you that you are wrong for believing that God is anything other than what they conceive him to be. That God, or a God that you form in your own emotions or your own thought process, that God will never be a foundation that you can stand on and be sure as you walk through trials of this life. That, that God will fail you every time. But you see, the God of heaven, the God that transcends this world, that has revealed himself to humanity through Christ, he will never ever fail you. You can be sure, no matter what you deal with in this life, that he will never fail you. You can trust him as shepherd. This is why it is significant that we don't miss in the first verse that David is saying, the Lord, Jehovah, Yahweh, I am. He is my shepherd. Not my conception of who he is, not who other people say he is, but the God of heaven who has revealed himself among men. He is my shepherd. This also speaks to the personal relationship that God desires with humanity. Throughout the word of God, uh, and we see his name, Jehovah or Yahweh, the Lord, attached to many titles, implying that this self-existent, perfect being is personally at work in his creation, and more specifically in those who walk with him in faith. Uh, Kent's going to put up a slide. Just I want you to just see some of the names of God that we see in the scriptures. We see uh, Jehovah the Lord, my banner. Jehovah the Lord that heals. Jehovah the Lord, our righteousness. The Lord who sanctifies you. The Lord who provides. The Lord who is peace. The Lord of hosts. The Lord, my shepherd. And there are more than that. But you see, what that means for us is that God has revealed himself as I am. That I am other than you. In his name, Jehovah or Yahweh. But then he goes on and says, all through the word of God, we see these names. Jehovah, I am the self-existent other God, though is your banner. He is your healer. He is your righteousness, your provider, your peace. The Lord of hosts, He is our shepherd. The God that is I am, that is fully different than you and I, has stepped out of His place in heaven through His Son and endured the misery of humankind that He could be your peace and your banner and your healer, your provider, your shepherd. You see, that God that is so other than us, the Bible then defines as a God who seeks to intimately work in every situation that you and I deal with. You see, that is the God we have to understand. That is the God that we have to get a vision of spiritually to understand that He is fully other than me, yet He has chosen to step into human existence that he could be my provider, my healer, my provision, my, my shepherd, all of these things that he would choose out of his divine providence to provide for humanity. The Lord is my shepherd. 
So we see then again the Lord, Jehovah Yahweh as shepherd. That God is personal, is revealed all through the word of God. But you see, he has revealed himself to us then fully in Christ. He has made his presence personally available to each one of us by the indwelling of his Holy Spirit then. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. All through the word of God, we see God revealed then as a shepherd to his people. Psalm 80, verse 1, it says, Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock, you who are enthroned upon the cherubim, shine forth. Psalm seventy-eight, fifty-two. it says, But he brought his people out like a flock. He led them like sheep through the wilderness. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 11, it says, He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. You see, there are, di- there are people who believe that God was different under the old covenant, that God was just some uh, brutal force waiting to, to judge everyone and, and uh, uh, wipe them off the face of the earth. There are people that believe those kind of things about the God of the Old Testament. You see, the Bible says that he is the same. He has always been who he is, and he always will be who he is. He has never changed. He has never acted differently towards humanity. Now, there was a different covenant that he functioned under. We function under a different covenant than he functioned under under at that time before Christ, but his character directed towards humanity was still the same. Again, under that old covenant we see here in Isaiah 40, he tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those who have young. Does that sound like a brutal God? For his people, he carries, he gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. You you see, under the old covenant, God was the same God. Those who would walk in faith with them, he would carry them close to his heart. As a shepherd would carry his lambs. His relationship with all with mankind has always been a personal relationship wherein he provides protection, love, and gentle leadership. We see, though, then, that through Christ, God, a shepherd, desiring personal relationship with man, stepped into all that man endures. This, again, is the God that people accuse of being so brutal under the Old Testament would look on the misery of human nature, the fallen nature of man, the, the same nature that we see around us in wars and people uh, uh, abusing other people, anything that you can imagine, the ways that people uh, destroy other people's lives, whether, whether physically killing somebody or whether uh, abusing somebody in some way that they would destroy their life as somebody has to deal with the pain of that for the rest of their life. God has looked on the misery of human nature and stepped into that through Christ. God is not removed from human suffering, but he stepped into the middle of it. You see, that is the assurance that we're able to give to somebody who asks the question, why does God allow pain or suffering? I don't fully know the answer to those questions. 
There are a lot of different answers that we could give. But there's, when somebody asks you that question, there are different ways of approaching it. You see, there, there's an intellectual answer. We can give an intellectually satisfying answer for that. The problem is somebody in the midst of that is dealing with the emotional suffering of loss or pain. That is a lot harder to answer for somebody. So just when somebody approaches, if somebody ever approaches you with that question, try to feel them out to understand how they are approaching it. Where are they coming from? What is the background that leads them to asking that question? Because we have to first understand, is somebody approaching this to understand it intellectually or because they are suffering and need an emotional answer? No. Uh, the answer to that, though, for the person who trusts in him is the confidence in God who understands humanity because he doesn't just sit in some far-off place and watch us suffer. That's what people's idea of God is sometimes, that he's just sitting up there in his place in heaven watching you and I suffering and doing nothing about it. You see, that is not how God, our shepherd... God, I am that is fully other than us. That is not how he chose to relate to mankind. He chose to step into that so he could understand that what, what we are going through. He could understand the emotions, the difficulties, the, the, the uh, uh, weariness of going through trials and suffering because he, he endured that. And as he endured that, then we can have confidence in him as our shepherd because he understands what you and I are going through. The Bible says that he was tempted in every way and was without sin. That means that every single thing that humans deal with, in some way, he related to that through temptation. Every single thing that you and I deal with. The Bible says he is a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. Man of sorrows. You see, he is able to be a shepherd to you and I because he has walked everything that you and I deal with. We can have confidence in him as shepherd because of that. John ten eleven. Christ said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. So in Psalm 23, we begin with the declaration that Jehovah, the Lord, is the self-existent, perfect, eternal one. He is the shepherd. Because of that, we have no need of anything. David finds comfort in the knowledge of Jehovah as his shepherd because all of the things that are necessary for life, all of the things that people strive for, all of their needs are met by their shepherd. Almost done here. Last thing that we see here then, verses 2 through 3, is that the shepherd provides for his sheep. It says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. You see, the rest that you and I are looking for in life comes as we are satisfied in the provision of the shepherd. The rest that you and I are looking for in life. Everybody is so burnt out today, especially in America, because we can't stand to be still. I've talked about even in the church, there are times where we do a million different things. We don't do any of them well because we're doing a million different things. I had to get to that point at one, at one point as I was a worship leader, I still didn't fully do it well. But at one point I finally realized 
I'm doing all of these different kind of events, but I'm not doing any of them really well. Because I don't have time, I'm not having enough time to actually be in the presence of God myself. In that then, I am not filled to the measure, the Bible says that he will fill us to the measure of all the fullness of God. In that, we are able to minister and have some sort of eternal impact. But if I am not able to be with God, to be filled in that way, it doesn't matter how many events I do, or how many different things I do in the church, because I'm not doing them effectively. It's not just in the church. There are a million different things that we do in life, running around all over the place, doing anything and everything that you can imagine. We don't do any of them well because we are stretched so thin. And then we're all burnt out. Then we don't want to do anything because we feel like we don't have any energy. We're tired. You see, the rest that you and I are looking for, he restores our soul. The rest that you and I are looking for is in the shepherd. The fullness of life that you and I are looking for is in the shepherd, in his leading. The, the, the overflowing nature of the Holy Spirit working in us and through us to have an eternal impact, that is something that comes to us by the leading of the shepherd. I'm not going to find that on my own. I'm not going to find, I'm not going to find rest no matter how many vacations I take or wherever I go or how many things I stop doing because I'm burnt out. The only thing that leads me to that fullness of life is being with the shepherd. Now that means as Christians that when I evaluate all of the situations around me that are presented to me, different things that I can do or commit my time to, the first question is, will I have time to follow my shepherd? You see, because if we don't, everything else in our Christian walk falls apart if we are not walking in confidence with our shepherd. The rest that you and I are looking for comes as he makes us lie down in green pastures and leads us beside quiet waters. You've noticed that, quiet waters. Not the raging waters that you and I deal with mostly on a daily basis when we're rushing around all, the, all over the place to try to do a million things. He leads me by quiet waters. That means that at some point he is going to lead me outside of the chaos of life so that I can be in his presence and be filled by him. Benson Commentary said this, No creature is more ready to go astray than sheep, or more at a loss to find its way back. And all we like sheep have gone astray, and are still too prone so to do, to leave the right way of truth and duty, and to turn aside into by-paths. But when God shows us our errors, gives us repentance, and brings us back to our duty again, he restores our souls. And if he did not do so, we would wander endlessly and be undone. When God shows us our errors, he gives us repentance and brings us back to our duty again. He restores our souls, and if he did not do so, we would wander endlessly and be undone. The worship team can come up as we close. A lot of this comes down to us understanding, again, first, who God is, seeing him rightly as I am Jehovah, the one who is totally other than humans, and then understanding who I am. Understanding that I have a tendency to stray, 
You have a tendency to stray. Every one of us has a tendency to stray. If you are not fixed, your eyes fixed on the help that comes from your shepherd, you will stray. It's going to happen. But you see, a lot of people don't ever see that because they like to think of themselves as something other than a sheep. Because of human nature, we're prideful beings sometimes. Not many people, if you gave them a bunch of pictures of an animal, would pick out a sheep as the one they wanted to be associated with. Most people would pick like a bear or a wolf or an eagle or something like that. But you see, the Bible really only gives us two options. Remember when Christ was talking and he says at the end they would separate the sheep from the goats. It's the only two options. I mean, humans might want to think that they're an eagle or something crazy like that, but there is none. There's not one human that is anything like that. We are either a sheep who is under the care of our shepherd, walking in the fullness of life that comes in him, or we are a goat. How many of you want to be associated or looked at as a goat? Not many people. But seriously, there are very few humans that have the self-awareness or desire to see their heart revealed before God. God might reveal to them that you have all of the attributes of a goat, that you are stubborn, you are prideful, all of these things. That is what you are. There are also those that would never want to be characterized by a sheep because they don't want anybody else leading them. They want to do everything their own way. And there are people in this life that will do that every day, their whole life, and it will always end in misery, in destruction, not just for themselves, but the people around them. And they will continue to do the same thing, over and over. But you see, there are another people, those who would submit themselves humbly to a shepherd as sheep, following his lead, listening for his voice, being protected by him, not trying to protect myself, but being under his watch care, allowing him to be my defense, allowing him to be the one who leads me to nourishment, allowing him to be the one who binds up my wounds. You see, that is what God desires to do for his people. The question is, are we humble enough to be able to submit to him as our shepherd? Are we willing to acknowledge Jehovah, I am, the transcendent God, everything under his authority? Am I able to submit myself to his voice and then order my life so that I may be in a place where I can actually hear him, where he can give me nourishment, where he can give me wisdom, healing, all of those things, because at some point my life has to change if Everything in my life is pulling me away from that. At some point, I have to stop, reevaluate that, and order my life after him as the shepherd. I don't know what that means for you today. I don't know where you're at with that. I don't know if you're a sheep or a goat. I don't know if you have any desire to hear the voice of a shepherd. Whether you like to think of yourself as a wolf or whatever kind of... 
bear or whatever kind of animal you can think of. But don't miss a life of fullness with the shepherd because you like to think of yourself more highly than you ought. The Bible says don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. That means that I recognize that as a human, human nature in itself, no matter how much authority I have among men, that I have none in the heavenly realms outside of what comes from my shepherd. I have no strength in the heavenly realms in eternity. I have nothing but what comes from my shepherd. Spiritual health, spiritual nourishment, I have nothing aside from what comes from the shepherd. Most people will never want to acknowledge that in life because they want to think in themselves that they are able to attain something on their own or be something on their own. You're not able to do that. You can attain, this is the last thing I'll say, I promise. You can attain position and power and authority and store up things on this earth, but it will never mean anything in light of eternity. The only thing that means anything for you in this moment in light of eternity is you hearing and submitting to the call of the shepherd as a sheep. Acknowledge today that you are a sheep. Listen for his voice. And allow him to be, one, be the one who gives you everything that is necessary for life and godliness. God, we thank you today again for the opportunity to worship you, to be together in this place. And Father, we thank you that you have stepped into this world not as a God who has just come here to uh, destroy the sinfulness of humanity, though you are fully against sin in every way. You have allowed the opportunity for beings that are fully sinful, to be transformed, to reflect your holiness, and then to walk under your care in every moment of every day. Father, we pray that we would be people that would listen for your voice, that nothing else in this world would be more significant or important to us than being in your presence and allowing you to do all of the things that characterize a shepherd. Father, we love you today. It is in your name we pray. Amen.